Welcome to Pragmatic Talks, a podcast and video series where we discuss startups, contemporary digital product development, modern technologies and product management. Pragmatic Talks is brought to you by Pragmatic Coders. We believe that modern methods and approaches to software product development should be widely adopted in the market to minimize the wastage of talent. We also believe that everyone should have equal access to knowledge about product development and entrepreneurship. Everyone should have the opportunity to apply it in the pursuit of making our world a better place. Through this series, we aim to create an impact on the future world. For today's episode, I have invited Marcin Bedjak. Marcin is a seasoned software engineer, software architect, and currently working as a service delivery manager at Pragmatic Coders, where he is also a board member and shareholder. His role is all about assuring the highest standards of our services for our clients. And that could be achieved mainly through a selection of the best talent from the market and the development of the right processes. The topic of today's episode has already been mentioned a few times in the entire series. Since a significant part of Pragmatic Coder's core business is hiring great talent and building effective teams around products we build for our customers, we decided to share our knowledge and experience in recruitment. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Marcin Bedjak. Welcome, Marcin. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Victor. So um, you are a soft service delivery manager at Pragmatic Coders. Uh, you are also recently became a partner at Pragmatic Coders and board member uh, some time ago. Could you start with telling us a little bit of what is your story, how you uh, managed to uh, get to where you are right now, where did you start it, when did you start it, and how does it look like, briefly? So uh, I was programming like nearly all my life and I was bored <laughs> at some point. I was doing a lot of things. Actually, I started from PHP, mm-hmm. went from doing uh, simple applications and I was eager to just look at the other technologies. So uh, I was that programmer that doesn't like to code in one specific technology. So during my like whole career, I was programming in, in Java, in PHP. I was writing automating tests. I was writing front end. So actually I was doing all of the flow that um, nearly every application needs to happen. I think that's something that I never done was a mobile application. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Uh, so uh, at some point I was uh, probably going to um, be like architect and to just start uh, just using all of the knowledge from all the technologies that I gathered to uh, just design application from the scratch, not to just to, uh, write the code and then single stream of stuff. And after that, I found that uh, nothing new happens in the applications. So I was looking at something, at something new. And it happens that I have a possibility to uh, scale my uh, experience at just managing the help to manage company instead of doing single project. So this is something that I'm trying to do at the Pragmatic Coders is to uh, just share my experience and knowledge to do same good work in, in the whole organizations, not in a single project. Great. So today's episode will be focused on recruitment because this is a topic that we already mentioned in a few previous episodes and Every of our guests uh, said that anything what they are talking about, regardless if it's Scrum, if it's product management or building a startup, looking for product market fit, creating a bank uh, with a small team and, and doing a lot of other stuff. Each of our guests says that um, recruitment is something that you need to take care about. If you do the recruitment wrong, then anything else that you are doing most probably will end up uh, as something that you don't want to 
end up with. Today we are going to focus on recruitment, especially recruitment for technical roles, uh, for startups, for product companies, for uh, for any kind of, of, of companies. Let's start with a, let's say, tough question. Uh, what do you think is the greatest challenge when assessing a candidate for a software development role? But to which organizations? I think that we need to specify some, some conditions. Okay. So, so maybe let's start differently. So let's assume that we have like startups, scale-ups, corporate business, uh, I know, uh, organizations that are not purely software companies, but do have some IT department, software department. What are the differences between this and uh, these companies? What are the different challenges that those companies are facing? So from my experience, uh, when working with the people around like different uh, timeline of the product that they are doing, it's usually the challenge is that they hiring candidates for not the time period of the project that they should work. I would say that uh, every technical role, either it's developer or CTO or I don't know UX, this will apply for all of the roles. Different candidates work better in the area where you start doing new product, new applications, and there's a completely different skill set is needed if you need to scale application up or maintain it or write new features and so on. I used to name it as a architect and artisans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's something that I found in some book, but I will not remember the name currently. What is the difference between them? Uh, so basically, architect is the person that look at the, <clears throat> at the, like, the big picture. Earlier, I was saying that uh, I was working with a lot of technologies. Uh, I know how the front end should work, back end, mobile and so on. I would say that those people are actually uh, that's focusing around a lot of technologies that can see the big pictures, that can design the whole system, that can work with the business and talk about all of the streams, not only about the backend. And artisans are the guys uh, that's usually uh, around details and they are focusing on single technology. So for example, they are uh, experts on the Java applications, they know everything, they know all of the details of the Java runtime environment and so on. And they actually can build any feature that has any complexity. So let's assume we are recruiting for a corporate business. Who is better, artisans or uh, architects? I would say that for the startup and like the ideal uh, situation will be that you have both in startups and organization, but usually you, on startups, you don't have money to have artisans. Mm Uh, and for the organization, you need so many people that you cannot just build it from the architects. So I will say that both people. Uh, and you said, what is the challenge? So the challenge is uh, to find uh, uh, a good balance about them. Uh, so basically in startups, you would look from the beginning, uh, ideally would be to just find all of them architects mm-hmm. instead of artisans, because artisans will just leave your organizations because you will be not able to give them a really complex single technology as stuff to just implement. But at some point you would need to add artisans to your squad if your application will be scaling up. And for the organization, so, uh, Architects will be bored because you will not start applications so often and the big picture will not needed, but artisans will be needed because you really want to uh, maintain, scale, boost, debug and optimize applications so they will be best to just keep with your organization as long as possible. You mentioned before that it's also very important when you're hiring not only software developers, but for example, a CTO, that the CTO for the uh, early stage startup 
is a different person that you may need when you are scaling and most probably it's a totally different person than uh, the person you hire for a CTO role when you have like a grown business, a uh, corporate business like let's say I don't know, Google or Facebook or, or another companies like that. Could you elaborate a little bit more on, on those differences? So I have a chance actually to work the CTO on the startup that CTO was from the enterprise solutions. So it usually doesn't work because uh, such person uh, usually starts from be, uh, building processes uh, for organizations, something that he learned from the organizations already, and it doesn't work in startups. Usually you would like to hire CTO for the time where you are on the organizations and it will be great to just be aware of it. For example, uh, I know that I will be uh, working much better in, in chaotic uh, environment and doing new applications, the, the start of the applications. I will be much less performance uh, performance uh, in situation where need to scale uh, and optimize the application building processes to just work at it. So this is something that I have better experience and uh, I'm just bored uh, around some time of the project where you're doing the same stuff and the same stuff, but you need to just make it in better scale. Don't you think that it might be hard to actually assess candidates uh, for these particular roles, the particular uh, time in the organization? Like, do you see any issues, any, any challenges here to provide a good question, good recruitment process for the candidates who are applying, let's say, for a, for a startup uh, as a CTO or even as a software developer and the candidates who are applying for a software developer or even uh, C-level or, or a top management level roles in the corporate or, or scale-ups? For me, a recruitment process is always around asking uh, behavior questions. Mm -hmm. Something that I see uh, from recruiters that are not really experienced, they usually ask uh, enclosed questions, mm -hmm. something that you can Google in the organizations. And it's really hard to actually check stuff like soft skills mm -hmm. or where you belong or what you really like to do. It's much better to just uh, ask open questions. For example, if you would recruit programmer, and uh, if I would like to see uh, if he can actually build the applications, not if he knows Java or any specific technology, I would ask if he can design me any particular applications. I don't know Facebook, anything. There is no right answer. Even architecture designer. Yeah, yeah, so like the big picture. Mm -hmm. I can just go deeper in any selected area. It's, I'm not interested in any specific mm -hmm. from the beginning, right? And that's open the, the dialogue. I see how the guy thinks, how he builds solutions, and if uh, he's someone that I would like to work with. This also shows me what the experience the candidate has. So if he works for the startups or organizations, if uh, the candidate over engineer or building a really good solution for the for the product, he's pragmatic with the solution. So. So that's open questions, behavior, behavioral questions are much better than asking closed questions or direct questions where you specify candidates what after you're looking for. It's mainly like asking the question that the candidates could or even should answer. It depends. And then dive deeper uh, with, with the details, like it depends on the context and that's like, like, correct or? I would say that uh, that's kind of questions where you cannot uh, prepare for them before okay. before the, the call. Even if you will know the questions, mm -hmm. uh, you have no idea in which direction the, the dialogue will go for. Uh, sounds interesting. So uh, what is the type of people you are looking for when recruiting for pragmatic coders? 
So we definitely look for the art- architects guys <laughs> that are really flexible and they don't focus on the single technology. We're building from the from the scratch, mm-hmm. and this is usually what we are doing, like building from building applications from the scratch or like working in the small teams. And there is usually not a lot of space for guys that just work in the single technology. And this is from the technical perspective. It's usually something that is much better, uh, like much more important for us soft skills. And it's from from the statistics. So usually at pragmatic coders, when if we log our data from from our past years and our rotation uh, rotations, and then we'll see that most people that uh, left pragmatic coders or we just fired them or there was some any we couldn't find the the uh, good language between company and and the candidate, and that was actually soft skills. Not the technical ones. And technical ones, it's much easier to uh, to learn. It's much easier to mentor and to teach the people how to do technical stuff. But soft skill is something really... don't want to say that it's impossible or it's not possible, uh, but it's something that at least I don't know how to ideally teach others. Uh, yes, as, and in especially in current days when you're mostly working remotely. So, uh, yeah. so I would say that for me it's uh, nearly impossible. So looking at the soft skill is something that uh, we are focusing at pragmatic others to hire people. Mm-hmm. I know that that's our recruitment process is based on mostly on the, on the concept and the book that is titled Hiring for Attitude. And in this book, that this concept about uh, that you mentioned that the technical skills are pretty easy to be checked. I remember that from this book that I don't remember the, the exact number, but it was something about 80% um, of people who were uh, misrecruited. Uh, by misrecruited, I mean they were fired after trial periods or, or fired during the first year of cooperation with the company, were um, fired not because of the technical skills or lack of technical skills or not enough technical skills, but because of the lack of culture fit, lack of the soft skills that were required to, uh, to, the, to the employer. Let's talk a little bit more about this culture fit. So when you are recruiting to for, for pragmatic coders, what are the, let's say, top three to five um, attributes, skills, mindsets, or I don't know how to call it, uh, that, that you want to have uh, when, when you're hiring someone? Checking what, uh, uh, what attributes, features we are looking from candidates from high performance. Uh, we uh, found out and something that we called like values uh, that we just focus on pragmatic color values yes. or values. The main problem is uh, you can just take a person that's working a really long in pragmatic colors and mm-hmm. just uh, send them to the interview and that person usually will have uh, a high percentage of hiring a good candidate but uh, we need to scale. We yeah. cannot send uh, the same person interviews uh, all of the time, and not only because of the money, but uh, single person they will not want to just go to the interview all the time. It doesn't sound like a you know, like a great uh, career path. I was a senior developer architect, and then I'm a recruiter. Yeah, yeah exactly. That doesn't sound, sound very good. Yeah, so we need to scale it, and this is something that we are looking for uh, already existing processes, standards that can help us with hiring for attitude and. This is why we started with working with the book that you, that you mentioned. Okay, the core values that uh, we found out that our high performance has, uh, they are, we deliver value, uh, we desire to grow, we take ownership, we are team players, 
uh, and we are pragmatic. Basically, we go focused on those five. We really think that they really incorporate the uh, principles that our employers were uh, using with working with our clients through nine years currently. Yeah. As today, do we have birthday of pragmatic coders? So this is like nine years. And we haven't changed them a lot during our time. Okay, we changed the, uh, we are partners to, we deliver value to just make it easier for new guys to, to uh, understand what we, what we want to achieve with this particular value. And uh, our whole uh, soft check skill that we call cultural check, it's focusing on asking questions that assess the candidate if he actually fits our organization. So it's not like every person will work. So some people will not go through the through our recruitment process, and uh, that person can uh, perform really good in uh, in other organizations. We're just looking for the specific stuff at, at the candidate. So uh, could you provide some examples of um, of the questions assigned to the particular values, and uh, I don't know, maybe some examples of the correct answer and the answer that. It's not the answer that you are looking for. I'm not saying it's incorrect answer, but the answer mm -hmm. that will not fit to the culture of pragmatic coders. Uh, so usually if we, we ask questions about uh, ownership, uh, I don't remember the exact questions. Mm -hmm. That's something that uh, we change from time to time. Uh, but we are looking for the answer that's around the, the uh, candidates that are employees will be challenging uh, the things that are going in, in the client organizations, in the, in the teams, and looking for the most effective way to just build the product, uh, to take best decisions, to, to do additional stuff, to uh, challenge the requirements from the client if this is best to do. And the people that doesn't fit the pragmatic coders, that, we are, that they usually tend to work with the management and doing tasks that someone will give them. So that will be the example. Uh, both people are needed for some stuff. So basically, in if we are starting about scale-ups, uh, about uh, startups and, and organiz uh, like bigger organizations, so usually in our big, big organizations, you don't want the guys that will be challenging every decision from the management team because they will be wasting time of the management of the actually uh, work with them and this is exactly what we are looking at the pragmatic coders we want such stuff uh, because the teams are small and the decisions that needs to be made uh, take money so as soon as we can just change the process change the uh, change the way how we build uh, any features anything like that and that will be really soon beneficial mm -hmm. i also remember from this book uh hiring for attitude that there is one other aspect which is um the coachability and i know that we are testing it very much uh during this culture check as well and our core value we desire to grow is actually about coachability we have any examples of the questions uh that that we are and asking this, there this is exactly what our hr, HR doesn't like uh -huh. <laughs> uh, because such questions just uh take you from your comfort zone yeah so usually if you get the questions around if the recruiter will convince you that he will contact your boss from the previous words, mm -hmm. then you are just going outside the comfort zone. But that techniques uh, can give some truth about uh, how your performance in your 
like recent uh, jobs and basically can you uh, this uh, can force you to just give the truth about how the boss was thinking about you mm-hmm. uh, what are your uh, strong uh, strong features or where you are bad at and the crucial thing is what you are doing with such feedback from mm-hmm. previous organization so how to check coachability crucial part is to get out the candidate from the comfort zone mm-hmm. and looking for something that will be sure that he needs to tell the truth yeah because then he, there is a chance that he will verify it with his previous boss or manager or whatever yeah that's that's a good idea to ask those question what do you think your previous manager would ask or if we ask him about your uh, strengths or your weaknesses yeah that That is something that I also always like to ask the candidates. It's pretty easy to discover if someone is telling the truth or if someone is not telling the truth. And especially when the candidate says that they do not know or they do not recall. Of course, there are a few follow-up questions like, uh, did you have like a regular one-on-one meetings or any other feedback form with your with your uh, manager or maybe with your uh, surrounding, I mean, 360. And if those people confirm that they did have this kind of feedbacks and they do not remember anything that was valuable there, that only can means, means two, two things. There is some probability that those methods were ineffective, but there is also a great probability that, that such a person didn't um, recognize those feedback or didn't care about the feedback that they received. So the coachability level of such a person is uh, pretty low. That question can really quickly and the uh, recruitment process we have happened that uh, some of our candidates uh, didn't want to talk about previous jobs they didn't want to uh, just give any contacts or just clearly say that uh, they don't want us to actually talk about them uh, with anyone that they were working with this was usually something that we we didn't want to work with such actually there is no any extra comment on that if there is no reason for that Mm -hmm. because of course i can understand that someone could have been working in some you know pathological organization that that he don't want to even recall but it's also about the transparency and saying that that i don't want to to contact them because i don't have relation with them or or i uh didn't end up the cooperation in in a good way and that's still okay if, the, if their default was somewhere else, not in the employee itself. Okay, um, is there any difference uh, between recruitment of the, for the technical roles, I mean the, the software developers in this case, and recruitment for the roles such as UX designer, product manager, uh, or any other role that is not strictly uh, related to programming? In terms of the process, in terms of the question, or in terms of what you are looking for? The process is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the cultural check, what we are doing, even outside of the technical roles. So we are using cultural check for any like bug offices roles as well. What's uh, what's changed? Uh, of course, the theoretical questions for mm-hmm. the competences, for the skills. And from my perspective, that is enough. We don't need uh, another processes. We can just focus on doing better stuff like cultural checks that we mentioned that is most important to hire best candidate. So if we are talking about the process itself, could you like uh, walk us through the typical recruitment process step by step at Pragmatic Coders? How does it look like? So when you will send CV for us, uh, I will have a contact from recruitment uh, team, some technical uh, call that's just long for like 15 minutes or something 
Uh, and basically our recruitment teams just checks if uh, there is like basic fit between uh, you and, and pragmatic coders and just assess if you want to go through. Uh, the next uh, step is actually the technical interview. Uh, that is mainly focused on, on uh, checking the skills. And the final step is uh, the stuff that we call the cultural check. And usually we just try to divide as much as possible to technical stuff and cultural check to just not focus on the same stuff between uh, those two things and also different people just uh, doing such stuff. And after cultural check is uh, something uh, that's everything that we need to just find the, the best people. This is like going for the decisions that we are trying to just do as fast as possible. How do you make a decision? Like, what is based on what is the impact of the culture check on the decision? What is the impact on the technological part? How does it look like? A lot of things happen here. Uh, currently, uh, we are on the way that the culture checks is uh, standardized and we have a score from it. So it's pretty easy uh, how we can learn from them. Uh, which is a history and statistics from our people that we hired and what the score was from cultural check. So we can clearly say if the candidate, how will be performing the pragmatic coders um, based on our previous experience and we can just lower or hire them uh, according to the market status. So we can just hire our expectations. If the talent pool is pretty low, then we can just lower them, but still have a control about it. And we are working on doing the same with the technical interviews as well. Currently, we are at the moment that our best people doing technical interviews, but we need to scale at some point. Uh, so it's a great moment to just look at the standardizations of the technical interviews and doing, doing pretty uh, similar stuff as the cultural check. So we started with the cultural check. It's most important for us, but it's time for the mm -hmm. technical as well. So we'll have that score and statistics at some point as well. Right now, it's like uh, the trust from, from our team that we have in the organization. So what would you do in a situation when, for example, you would have a candidate who went through technical check very good, like nine out of 10, and then went uh, through the culture check, let's say four out of 10. So would you hire such a person or not? This depends what we would need from it. If we need a person for like a single time assignment, uh -huh. like really short uh, drop and uh, a fixed term contract and so on, then maybe I would just try to, uh, to think about if you can do it. But if that will be the person that should uh, stay with PC as long as possible, completely no. Mm -hmm. There is no perfect recruitment process. Like I, I know that you, your team, you are still improving it, etc. But maybe you can share with us some uh, spectacular failures or some mistakes that you made uh, when designing uh, recruitment processes in the past. And so uh, also share with our uh, listeners uh, what, what type of mistakes they should avoid. Transparency. Mm -hmm. From the start to the end with candidates, with employees, it's it's doing most of the errors during the mm, hiring process and it's not expect to our failures but something that's uh, demotivates people at some point lack of transparency that we are doing on the recruitment process and just to give some examples so apparently a candidate understand that he will have evaluation after three months and will get a rise mm -hmm. uh, but definitely that's not the case so Misinformation, lack of transparency, 
and that person was really uh, demotivated after the, the uh, three months of working at us. And at some point, that person left the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, the trust from the beginning was, was crashed, and we couldn't just find uh, the good solution how to work with it. And this is something that can be really easily fixed uh, from the beginning. Other stuff from, again, from the transparency bucket, uh, that apparently we guaranteed a project mm -hmm. from the beginning. Uh, and this was not the case. So usually if you are working for the company that have a lot of clients, you cannot guarantee clients at, at that point. Okay, you can just uh, talk about things that you're working at the moment, the company and say if that a project will be available, then it's okay. Uh, but usually you cannot guarantee staff at, at the company and that level of transparency is really important from the beginning. Uh, and I would say that the transparency is something to, to, that organizations should, should look at the, the process, especially because organizations usually send uh, people that aren't aware about all of the things. Mm -hmm. uh, if there is a big organization, then usually there is going uh, like some team member that probably that person will be not, not hired for that team. And that person have no information around the, all of the specific and cannot guarantee any such stuff. So transparency is really important. And that's like recruitment team job to, to assess that the transparency is really high across all of the steps. You already mentioned about um, onboarding actually, like what happened after we hire people. So could you also describe how this process looks like? So, okay, we already hired someone and that's not the end, it's just the beginning. So what's happened after we sign the contract, the person show up the first day in the office or, or remotely? So how the onboarding process look like? Uh, for me, the crucial crucial case is actually to just see at the office mm -hmm. remotely, uh, visiting our office and working at least one or more days with the team to uh, onboard in the project uh, as much as he can and just uh, ideally integrate with the team, go for a beer, that would be ideal. Uh, but we cannot force people to go to a beer on the first day, but we can just, uh, we can uh, enforce that the people will uh, meet with each other face to face. Of course, we have a lot of different stuff, HR, recruitment, delivery, finance, and so on. I would say that the most crucial stuff is to just uh, meet the people that are responsible for it. So the, uh, the guy can uh, knows which person will be best to address any questions that he will have at some point. So that will be onboarding, but we can just go further. So we have this uh, period, usually three months, and this like a standard in, in IT to just assess some people if they are working correctly during the three months, and we are doing the same. We just divide the, uh, this three months period for two parts to just uh, share with the feedback with the candidate, uh, with the team, to have the time to actually see if something going wrong, if there is everything okay. And after three months, we just uh, decide if this is okay from both sides. Of course, it's not like only pragmatic coders decide, but we are looking for uh, agreement that we can work with each other further across these three months. Uh, but still, I would say that onboarding ends after three months. Yeah, in the one of the previous episodes, we discussed it with uh, Jacob Dobosz, 
about how our trainings works like, how our onboarding looks like for the first year and so on, how the growth of our employing employees uh, look like later on. You already mentioned about the remote remote work. So uh, in your opinion, how does the entire market change? I mean, the employee-employer market uh, change and how the recruitment change uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic and afterward? First change is that we cannot uh, further recruit in the offices. Mm-hmm. It's something that is past us and we'll be not able doing this any further. I would say that uh, reward work uh, added a really big challenge for the IT market and uh, probably you're assured that it's really hard to find a job as a junior developer yeah. or any other role. So basically it's not possible because uh, we don't know how to mentor, how to educate junior when they are working. But we win the entire market as yeah, you observe. Exactly. Them. It's not only like pragmatic others, yeah. but we see this across uh, all of the market, all of the IT. And it doesn't help, and it doesn't help new people as well, uh, and it doesn't help companies because they usually have uh, just cannot just grow with with someone that have less competences, and uh, not every organization can hire only seniors, and we are not at the moment that uh, we can just hire as much as as many as possible sales because they are not available on the market. So I would say that this is like first uh, biggest things that affect that mm-hmm. we framework work that we don't know how to uh, how to teach, how to how to mentor those people. Second thing is uh, I would say that is like my understanding but I have some few proofs about it and that our programming skill was uh, was are really much uh, worse than was before remote working. So uh, I also noticed like a, it was like an end of 2022 when I noticed that when we analyze all of the uh, CVs that were uh, sent to us by candidates, there were candidates who had like at least two years of experience uh, and more and the candidates who doesn't didn't have any experience at all. So there were no candidates with one year, one and a half year experience. Like that was the period when the COVID pandemic started, when the homework started, when the lot started. That, and I believe that that confirms what you said, that um, because of the remote work, there is a huge gap in terms of the new people on the market, new people who are starting uh, their career in, in IT. Of course, there are some exceptions. There are some people who still uh, managed to, to find their job and there are companies who are um, trying to fill that gap, but it's still not enough. Like most of the companies, majority on the market, do not hire junior developers because they do not know how to teach those people uh, how to do their job in an in efficient way. They are even uh, more keen to pay more for experts instead of hiring uh, more junior people to teach them uh, even for less money. And also, it's much more harder to uh, to actually convince people who are working remotely to spend their time on teaching others who are also working remotely. It's pretty hard to uh, to uh, share the knowledge remotely. Mm-hmm. When I speaking with uh, people that work remotely, they usually tend to say that they are much. Uh, much more effective during working and the remote work. Uh, and it's hard to disagree with it because the performance of single person usually can be higher, but it's going at some cost. 
Mm-hmm. So what the person is doing, so that person optimizes the time in the remote work and that person doesn't uh, waste time to work with juniors. Waste in quotes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, doesn't uh, work with, with juniors, doesn't mentor anyone, just uh, skip meetings that doesn't deliver any value for that particular person. And yes, that person can like more tasks. But we are not doing projects with single person. Yeah. If we'll be doing single person projects, then usually I I would actually could agree with that that remote work can be much better for projects that are single person. But we are not at the moment. So uh, the main reason why it's not working is because those people doesn't uh, work on on team players, team playerships uh, responsibilities doesn't teach people and this is why we have we are struggling as IT with uh, incorporating juniors to our organizations uh, it's a really big problem that we as a IT will be handling during I don't know next two years or something and we doesn't have any solution for it I don't see it currently yeah, maybe the way we are already doing it that we are say forcing people to show up in the office uh, more often like twice a month uh, for new people twice a week that is something that I see I already see the results of that I already see that they, this knowledge sharing uh, the the velocity of the team is increasing etc uh, on the team level maybe not on the personal level of course some of those people complain that no we are wasting time in the office I'm spending most of the time uh, in the kitchen drinking coffee speaking with people but when asking what are you speaking about oh about the product that we are working on about the, our job Hmm. Maybe that's knowledge sharing here. It sounds like a, like a things that we forget about. But still it's like short term. We are at the moment at the market, like the talent pool on the market is really high. Yeah. And we can uh, try to look for the candidates that will be visiting the office. Mm-hmm. But that will end at some point. Next year probably will be after that. And uh, we need to learn how to do it in, in remote environment. Or something else will change. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, comparing the recruitment three years ago when, when most of the recruitment happened on site, uh, people came to the office uh, with a room. I remember that when, even when we rent this office, we designed two rooms uh, into two conference rooms, a small conference room, rooms that will be designed especially for recruitment and then the pandemic started. And then we were doing remote recruitment from these rooms that we didn't need. Uh, but do you feel that there is any impact of the pandemic on the way companies or we started uh, recruiting people because the recruitment became remote uh, instead of the all-site recruitment? From the beginning, we didn't change anything and we made a lot more mistakes during hiring. For me, at least it's much uh, harder to perform cultural check during face-to-face where you don't see all of the body language from, from the candidate. Like normal uh, people stuff that you can just do when you're t- talking face to face. And yes, we made more mistakes for it. Uh, how we reacted to it? We added some more standardizations during the process. And uh, this is also why we are looking for standardization of technical interviews uh, to just make it uh, more easy to people to do it. So it's much harder for the recruiters to do mm-hmm. such conversations. And yes, we need to learn how to do them as long as uh, long term, because we'll be doing it more. Maybe not in this year, but if next year probably is. And if will be possible that we can uh, 
we will just uh, invite the person to the office, then uh, surely we'll be doing it because this will be much easier. And statistics shows that uh, we have like better success rate of it. Mm -hmm. And you're mentioning about the standardization of the technical uh, interview because we have the data about the culture check that now we can analyze after after a few years of running this culture check and having the standardization and having the scoring system there. We can easily, as you mentioned, go through all the data and see where we made the mistakes, where we had the mishire. And uh, I remember that when you show me this data and show me all the candidates, like maybe not all of them, but in plenty in many cases, uh, there we the data show us that that person will sort of later quit or be fired because they didn't fit the culture uh, in for 100 percent or even for 80 80 uh, But you know they were like some. Uh, yellow warning lights uh, that we seen in the data, but still we made a decision that wasn't the best. But also, as you mentioned, uh, some of the candidates were uh, assessed remotely, so also the scoring wasn't so good as for the people that we assessed uh, outside. I would say that uh, I'm more keen to hire that person if uh, that person will be working from the office. Mm -hmm. That's the scope when you can try to, to work with the soft skills and mm -hmm. try to improve them or or ideally, uh, I would accept lower score, at least not from the growth category, mm -hmm. because that's something that if that person is not coachable, then we'll have uh, will not do anything at the office as well. That can help us to, to grow with that people, and I really like to do it with junior candidates mm -hmm. because they usually doesn't have uh, any bad habits at least bad habits for pragmatic coders because they can be like good habits for different organizations and we can work with that person to just try to uh, do as much as possible. But uh, as we are saying, if that person is working remotely, that is usually something that is a matter of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say that this is mostly like uh, uh, decisions about money that we can earn mm -hmm. or something like that. But usually this is like short seeing because uh, person that living pragmatic coders al always demotivate the team. Yeah, unless uh, they are fired because of the uh, some uh, misculture or, or uh, mishiring problems that everyone has from time to time. Fortunately, we do not have it very often, so uh, so it's not so bad. Okay, let's let's switch the topic to candidate experience. So, um, how how do you ensure a positive experience for candidates who who are going through the process of pragmatic colors? You already mentioned transparency; it's, it's very important. But maybe there is something else. So we mentioned already that we have standardized the process, and this usually happens that we are getting like, really good feedback around it, because we are not sending uh, not prepared recruiters for for mm -hmm. all of the stuff. I think that it's like. That, that's enough. You don't need to uh, building really complex uh, uh, recruitment process. You just need like few nice things in it, like transparency, good offer, uh, good interview interview process, uh, and, and so on. That's that's really something that's, that's wor working really well for us. Something that uh, also is really good that uh, we just share the feedback with the candidate mm -hmm. at the end as well. So we just not leave the candidate without any response for it. But still, it's transparency, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Let's let's talk about the uh, the things that also happen after the recruitment again. Let's let's assume that we represent top talents. Uh, how will pragmatic others ensure they grow uh, and, and retention? How do you care about people so they will not leave the company? 
And something that probably is out of the discussion is that the offer needs to be good. If we look at the statistics, that uh, they will all show that the, the offer, the money is most important. Second thing is uh, doing good projects. Mm -hmm. so That's something that probably should be defined because this will be something else for anyone. We have like limited, uh, uh, limited things that we can do about it. So the money is uh, basically depends on the market, on, on stuff that we earn, our condition and so on. Good projects probably as well, but we can learn how to do it better, doing better marketing. What is the UVP of the company that we have? It's a knowledge sharing that we can do. Usually the most valuable things that we can can give our uh, our employees is the knowledge and, and the time how we need to, to just get it. And we are uh, focusing mostly on, on doing this knowledge sharing as fast as possible so our guys can quickly uh, be better developers. Mm -hmm. I also uh, recently post uh, on LinkedIn that uh, some of our employees or former employees became a CTO or CEO of their own startups, or they were hired as a technical leaders, CTOs, etc. And this is something that I also think that is something that we managed to do pretty good at Pragmatic Coders uh, since our people leaving company or starting their own company and uh, it's part of uh, growth and, and knowledge, uh, gaining knowledge sharing. Is something that uh, that assures the the, the retention of pragmatic other as well. Even though some of them are leaving the company and they are starting their own, the retention might not sound very good. But from my opinion, it, it's something that is actually good and is a positive rotation as well. I really would like that every person leaving PC would be like that. Personally, for me, it's uh, positive retention. Especially that we usually handle the relationships longer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes such people just going back to us. If, yeah. But usually this is because uh, something doesn't work well for them in different organizations or different companies and so on. But still we, we keep relationships. And sometimes we are even just uh, handling this relationship at another level. So we are doing business with yeah. people. We have at least two cases from the recent year that our former employees became our clients. Uh, so if such people leave us, join some other company or start their own company and then hire us to to work with them because they know the value that, that we can provide. Okay, so let's let's try to figure out a few tips and tricks for, for startups and other companies that are just thinking about uh, starting doing their recruitment right. I'm not saying that they're just starting directly, but, but they, they see that they can improve maybe after listening what we what we had to say here, they realize that they could do some things better. What are the top startups, the top top uh, advices for startups and other companies that Stuart recommends them to, to do to start with when designing their recruitment process, when starting their recruitment process? Imagine this question is that if I will be not technical, how I'd build uh, IT department in company. And I believe that only way that see that can have like high possibility of success if to just uh, share equity with someone really experienced it mm -hmm. and just delegate such stuff to that person. How so? Because you will think about it. Uh, if you can just hire senior developers to organization that doesn't have IT department, Probably not. We are not at the moment that we can compete with other organizations. We probably we cannot compete with money. We cannot compete with knowledge sharing. 
product is usually not at the moment that it can be something that that will help to, to make the decision. Uh, so I think that I would like to have a person that will do it for me. And most likely that person will need to start from hiring juniors or regulars and, and mentors that people that will be like really good developers at, at some point. Other stuff like that, if uh, I would be startup and if I would like a startup, uh, I understand as a concept where we need to um, just check if our product will be performing good, then I will just get a company that's doing product development. Let's say like, uh, what is the statistic? Night at 10 uh, startups failing, right? Yep. So usually I would have a really big chance that my startup really will collapse. So why I should just hire people for several months and, and fire them after that. Yeah. So maybe it's just better to just work with company that can do it and just have experience and so on. And uh, when my product will be, uh, will be a success, then just think about own IT department. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I, I would like to also talk about, uh, that you said that hiring the product development company, software house or software uh, development company, such as pragmatic coders. In our history, we also like offer to our clients something more than just product development because we offer them to uh, the possibility to transfer some of our employees into their organization, build operate transfer model. Could you tell us uh, a little bit more about it? How, how does it work? What are the success stories? If from your perspective, it's still a positive rotation or, uh, or that you consider it as a, something that wasn't very good for? I'm pushing such transfers to the positive buckets. This was not that the client wanted those people. This was like a mutual agreement between them that they wanted to work for the client because product was good, because work that they are doing was great and they could uh, get a better offer and get higher uh, expectations from what we've been doing there. So you will not do a CTO from PC member. Mm-hmm. You would like to have that person on your board. Uh, so I have uh, only positive uh, like memories from from such transfers. But still, yes, it's it's uh, some challenging for pragmatic coders to lose such people. Uh, but we are talking about it. This is like positive retention for the people uh, going to, to use their skills in much broader. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the future. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do we see in the future in terms of the recruitment for for digital product uh, teams, digital product companies? What will change in the next, let's say, five years? We'll use AI for a lot of stuff. So uh, we're talking that we'll be in need to do remote mm-hmm. interviews. And something that they can imagine can happen, we can have a software that we're analyzing body language and, and the responses from the candidates and assess cultural track that it's, uh, that's fit the organization that we are hiring. I will just go if we are talking about about future five years and the speed of, of artificial intelligence growth. I would expect that this is something that we can do. I wouldn't expect that will be completely automatic. Mm-hmm. I, I, if, this is five years really long, but I wouldn't like to work for the company that does the automatic interviews. Uh, but uh, that company can just incorporate uh, tools that will help to assess the candidates and just make like better fit for the organization. Mm-hmm. Are there any resources or tools that that you would recommend for uh, companies or people in the companies who are 
uh, building the recruitment process. If you have few people in the organizations, then you probably don't need a lot of things. You have uh, trusted people and you can just uh, perform uh, interviews really well. But if you are scaling, then I would say that the standardization is something that we need to go for. And mostly standardize the uh, attitude, the behavior stuff at some uh, at the beginning. Because most likely you don't have any problems with assessing technical skills, but you have problems with, with soft skills of your guys. Mm-hmm. And it's a common problem that, that I believe many organizations have. What do you think is the common, most common misconception that about the recruitment that you would like to debug? Uh, of like, like what, what do you think are the uh, common uh, mistakes that, that companies, people do when, when recruiting people for software projects? Most one is that you cannot check soft skills during the uh, recruitment process. A lot of people think that there is uh, this three month period is something where you need to check it. And uh, now you can do it in the interviews. It's hard, it's not something easy. And it requires whole organizations to learn and just make a good culture check for, for this to happen. I would say that the biggest misconception is that you cannot do it from the beginning. So last but not least, um, if you could give one piece of advice to the candidates who would like to apply for product development companies, what they should focus on? That It might be an example of pragmatic coders, but it might be like any product company, not necessarily software house. Let's focus on the interviews that are covered with behavioral questions that you cannot uh, prepare for them because it's like, it's not possible. So how I would you prepare for that, for that interview? I was reading some article recently and I was working uh, at standardization of technical interviews. I don't remember the name, but there was a quote from a CEO from some company and actually about the concept uh, that you need to prepare free stories for any interview that you can go. And free stories is about the project that you are working on. And this is like one is a passionate project and the second one is a group project and the last one is a success project. That preparations will uh, give you a possibility to answer any question. That sounds really great for the candidates, not so great for the interviewer. <laughs> yes, but uh, if we will take that, there is no right answer for the for the questions, but the, uh, the recruiter is looking for um, things that really matter at the organization, then why not? Yeah, exactly. And especially if you will be honest when you are preparing this story and then telling this story, then you can uh, save a lot of time uh, that you would invest into the company uh, that maybe also a, a mishire for you, like you won't fit their culture and then you will just waste the time and energy and they were wasting their time, money and energy. We have limited time in the world and uh, and we have limited time that you can spend on, the, on working. Uh, so choosing the right company to work with is as much, impo- as much important as choosing uh, the candidate uh, to, to hire or even more important because it's more personal for you. Uh, I had a lot of interviews that the candidates really struggled to give some uh, examples from their personal experience. So I would even be more happy that they will prepare prepare and know what we are looking for and so on because the, the dialogue is it's uh, much more open at some point. So yeah, that will be my advice for, for, for people. But from my experience, uh, a lot of companies, companies just uh, ask uh, closed questions that you can usually Google 
then yes, you can prepare for them and so on. But usually that process is not really good. It doesn't tell you as a candidate nothing about the company and recruiter cannot just check anything about the candidate as well. So this is usually something that you can assess in technical perspective, not the mindset, not, not the cultural feed and so on. So no worries, uh, even if the markets uh, right now, job market is not as good as it used to be like two years ago, it's still very easy to find a job, but you can find any job. The question is if this is the job that you would like to uh, have. So to all the candidates, no worries, uh, especially if you are not a junior person with, who already have hard times uh, to find a job, uh, then, then the market is still good for you. Okay, Martin, uh, thank you very much for, for this conversation. Uh, it was a great, great pleasure for me. I hope that everyone who watched it, who listened to it, um, will, uh, will also feel that they, they spend their time uh, in, a, in a good way. And then to anyone who would like to work with us, regardless uh, as, a, as a product company who is looking for people to hire or uh, if a candidate who would like to join us, uh, please don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, and uh, of course, subscribe to Pragmatic Talks and to and, and watch our next and previous episodes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Victor, for the invitation. Always welcome to speak with you. Pragmatic Talks is delivered to you by Pragmatic Colors, the first choice software development partners for startup founders. Be sure to catch all new episodes. Subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify, or Apple podcast channels. And if you are thinking about building your own startup or struggling with product development, contact us and find out what we can do together.